Welcome to the latest From the Edge podcast. This is SPAC Chat. I'm Tom Burton uh, with Mintz and uh, with my colleagues, Jeff Schultz and Sa Sermelli. Uh, each of us has nearly 25 years of uh, working in corporate securities and specifically of late, uh, the SPAC boom. Uh, we're currently as a firm handling over 10 and uh, have a very good bead on the trends uh, that are occurring these days. And in that vein, today's session, we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, our most recent report uh, called Breaking Down the SPAC Surge, uh, which we produced in collaboration with PitchBook. As uh, many people already know, uh, just by looking at the newspaper these days, uh, the amount of money that has been raised in the SPAC market uh, so far in 2021, just the first quarter, has um, eclipsed the amount raised in all of 2020. Uh, I think we're at over 75 billion in 2020, more than that so far this year. And uh, if you look at uh, prior trends, uh, 2020 was a multiple over you know 2019. So uh, an enormous amount of cash has flooded the market and is seeking acquisitions. And the question is, what does that mean for this space with this unprecedented level of activity? First thing I wanted to talk about uh, with you guys was the amount of money being raised by the companies that are despacking uh, with these SPACs, with all of the cash in the market. What are the increases uh, in dollars being raised? Uh, what are you guys seeing in the market these days? So I think what we're seeing now is um, you know, average and median capital raised in the uh, 240, 250 million range and above, um, you know, they, it keeps on growing. Uh, you're seeing uh, the bigger SPACs, you know, 200, 250 million plus, uh, when they do a DSPAC transaction, do uh, pipes of even larger size than the amount in trust. So you're seeing a, a huge pool of capital available to the, um, the, the private company post-merger, assuming there are no redemptions. And so you know, this is a, a huge, capital infusion for these companies, a lot of them uh, that need the money for growth uh, because they're relatively early stage compared to um, maybe more mature companies that are doing IPOs. Yeah, so you're seeing um, roughly 250 to 300 million in the IPO. And then uh, on the pipe side, Sa, question for you, are you seeing uh, relative to the 250, for example, or 300 median that's being raised in the IPO, you know, what size pipes would you suggest are going hand in hand with those those dollar raises uh that's a great question tom this is uh you know i, I see things um but there's a there's still a wide range you know even with that mix that we have of the median and the average numbers on the on the transaction sizes we've got still have a pool of the smaller SPACs that are more like the circa you know early 2000s SPAC sizes of 30 to 85 million dollars uh, in trust. Um, and then we're seeing multi-billion dollar ones. Uh, but in that mid-range, we're seeing uh, deal sizes of roughly the same size or bigger than the uh, um, than the trust funds themselves. Yeah, and the benefit it seems to me to the to the to the SPAC, the operating company, is that if they raise more in the pipe, then they've got greater certainty at close as to the amount of dollars available for working capital purposes for the business. So it may even make more sense to have a bigger pipe than the amount in trust, which means you're looking at fundraising at the, you know, what at the median of something on the order of 400, $500 million anyway, right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And so what you're also seeing is that the pipe, a sizable pipe with good, um, quality investors gives validation to the valuation that the SPAC has put on the private company. Um, so 
a big uh, indicator of the success of the deal is the pipe and having a um, a good size pipe with good investors lined up and announced at the time of the merger agreement because it de-risks um, a lot of uh, mitigates the risks of the transaction, which is uh, is very important to uh, both the SPAC and the private company. Well, Jeff, I'll say that I mean the really multi the multiplier effect there is when you see these brand names um, like BlackRock and Fidelity and other big players in a pipe, and they're buying it. Let's say I mean traditionally it's ten dollars. There have been a couple outliers at ten dollars a share. And the SPAC IPO investors they bought their units, which are typically a one share plus some component of a warrant. Uh, for $10 and they have the right to put their share, uh, you know, as part of the DSPAC process, they have a choice to make right up at the end is to say, hey, if you want, you can have your $10 back from the trust fund. But when they see that all these institutional investors have lined up to buy stock at $10 a share, um, then what they're saying is, wow, there's a lot of big money and smart money that's in here at 10 bucks a share. So that feels like a pretty solid base. And I'm really in this for the ups for the upside. And so the, I think the momentum is that that drives the stock higher because people get this comfort level and there's not this 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 notion that, geez, maybe we're going to be stuck around 10 or go below 10. So I should get out now while I have the opportunity to get my $10 back. Yeah, I agree. That's an excellent point. Uh, and also with the pipe, you know, the bigger the pipe, the, the less dilution there is from the, I guess, from the SPAC itself and the sponsor team. You know, if you can do a Really, if you have a smaller SPAC, you know, the mounting trust, but you can do a bigger pipe that actually is less dilution to the private company stockholders because um, you don't have to you don't have the sponsor economics there in yeah. the pipe. Yeah. So to refresh for people, Jeff, that because who, who who haven't heard our first two episodes, and if you haven't, I recommend that you go check them out. Uh, is that uh, the the folks putting together these SPAC deals when they're creating a SPAC and doing a SPAC IPO, they're getting some equity as sort of founder shares. And that traditionally represents about 20% of the SPAC size. So it's 20% of the SPAC size, but if you're raising uh, uh, an equal amount to make the math easy, what used to be 20% is now 10%, right? And then, and then you're adding the value of the target company. If that's twice as big as those, now you've got uh, you know, twenty percent has gone down to five percent um, or sub five percent. So it's 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 really an opportunity to see that there's a lot more cash coming in, as Jeff noted, at that fixed price rather than at that discount price that they got when they set up the SPAC. And so overall, um, you know, more people are really kind of bearing the cost of the, the dilution of setting up the enterprise. Yeah, let's dig into the valuation piece a little bit because you know if you look at the DSPAC activity in 2020, there were over 120 deals. You know, these are the the M&A you know into the into the SPAC uh, company. Uh, 2021, I think we're, we're we probably have hit 60 by now. Uh, we in, again in one quarter, you know, versus uh, 120 all of last year. You know, and so I think a market you know is developing, right? You know, uh, because we can take a look at those deals and we can run the valuation numbers and look at the uh, look at those numbers, and they're, and they they're increasing. You know, the the median valuation I think in uh, 2020 was around 650 million. It's now a billion and a half. I mean, it's it's gone up dramatically. That's post deal at the end of the day after the money's raised. So the question really becomes, you know, what percentage of the 
overall enterprise is represented by the SPAC, what percentage is represented by the pipe, and what percentage is represented by effectively the operating company. You know, in our experience, the operating company usually has a broader, um, more than a majority anyway. So, so uh, we'd love to get your perspective on whether you're seeing a formula sort of emerge here for these, these, these deals in the growth market world. So I don't know if there's a formula. What I think we're really seeing is so much competition for the good companies that the valuations are being driven up and the sponsor economics are being driven down. Um, we're seeing SPACs have to compete for the, the really good uh, private companies. So it behooves them to provide what are the, the most favorable terms at the same time being able to have a valuation that is uh, okay for this, the pipe investors and that they agree with uh, and will put in money based on that valuation. So it's um, it's kind of a dance to try to uh, thread the needle uh, and, and, and get this back deal, but also be able to do the pipe. So it's it's a challenge. Um, we're seeing a lot of SPAC sponsors have to cut their promote, cut their founder shares instead of the the twenty percent. You know they have to reduce it, and there are all sorts of mechanisms to do that, you know, either by straight forfeiture cancellation of shares or um, you know price triggers if the stock trades at a certain price. Uh, you know you get you get to keep the shares um, to align incentives with the uh, with the stockholders. Yeah, and I, and I think I mean what, where where that comes out is because uh, it's hard it's hard to tell out of that data what you're seeing whether you're seeing an increase in valuations or uh, you know sort of the, the best companies or the the most highly valued companies attracting uh, the capital in pipes to do their deals um, and, and I think it's probably some mix of both um, and and so you know the Tom you noted you'd say. You know the majority that you see that you see are uh, over 50 percent of the you know post-merger enterprise is uh, delivered to the value of the target and you know that's a little bit like uh, i think if you do like the sort of back of the envelope math on let's say a traditional ipo right and a traditional ipo and if you take out private equity where um, they're really sort of 100 percent owned by a small cluster and Etc. But, uh, but but broader VC backed and other type of IPOs, I think you tend to see sort of like fifteen to twenty five percent of the company being listed, and it's probably the sweet spot is twenty to twenty five percent, right? So there's some notion that the amount of capital that people are ready to deploy, it's it, it's not infinite. So hey, you take a, a billion dollar valuation company. You're not going to put three billion dollars into it, right? And say, hey, the new money represents three quarters, right, of the four billion, because people are not typically saying, hey, let me put in right now. It's not the right day to raise three billion dollars, right? I'll I'll, I'll mm -hmm. take a billion of it today. You can take fifty percent of it, and we'll grow the company bigger. But now, at a higher valuation, I'll raise my next billion. So you, you got that on the in, in terms of like the the, the, the top side of it. And then on the bottom side of it, you really don't see investors who are saying, hey, it's a billion dollar company. Let's put $50 million into it. So somewhere in that mix, I think you end up over 50%, less than 100 to the <laughs> to the target. And I think probably the sweet spot is 60 to 80. Right. And that's a and so therein is the mix of, hey, how much capital can you raise and how excited can you get people in the pipe market? Um, and and how meaningfully different is your valuation for the target 
in that mix. And that probably, you know, determines where you end up in that zone. Right, right. That's a good way to describe it. And I'd also say, to as I look at this, um, so much of the success of these deals does depend on a, on the pipe market, as Jeff noted in his earlier comments and you saw. Um, do we have any insights on what we're seeing in the pipe market these days? Other than indigestion? <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. <laughs> um, you know, the, the pipe market, I think, is actually what's distinguished this generation, or this is speaking, this generation of SPACs um, from prior generations. You know, the, the, because a, a, a SPAC without a committed pipe at the time the deal is announced is at risk of ending up uh, as a shell company with no money and close, right? And, and of course, people, people avoid that outcome and basically terminate the deal. But in prior iterations, if you don't have a pipe there, then you're at the mercy of the market determining whether, the, you know, existing holders of the SPAC, whether they want to redeem and, or, or convert and get their $10 back. And if they do, there's no money in the trust at the end. And, and so uh, in the new iteration, hey, if I have a $200 million committed pipe, then let's say everybody else in the world doesn't like the deal. I still close on $200 million of financing in my deal. Right. If I'm if I'm the SPAC candidate, the merger candidate. And so that deal gets done. And that's a good outcome for the various people. It's not as good an outcome as saying, hey, and that two million, two hundred million from institutions excited the rest of the holders. And now I've raised four hundred million to pursue my model. And so that that lit the fire, I think, of, of, of 2020. Um, that's gone into 2021 in, in terms of these back deals, you know, with with it, with global instability, the pandemic, all sorts of other actions out there, short sellers, instability. Um, I think there's been, you know, a little bit of a pause um, in terms of the pipes market ability to keep up with all the deal flow or a little bit of a slowdown, let's say. And um, in the SPAC market generally, including DSPAC companies, prices have come down a little bit. Stock prices have come down. So that whole picture starts to see a little bit of the, um, you know, room for uh, a little easing off the pedal. And I think we still got to see where it's going to go. Yeah, and I think an important part of the, the process for a, um, a target and picking a SPAC is to have a certain network and um, ability of management to help with the pipe and um, either having a reputation within with investors that uh, will be uh, helpful in raising the money um, track record you know having good contacts with the the good uh, quality investors you know I think you know, it's not just a, a SPAC it's not just a pool of capital that you, that you access there are um, networks and um, you know, management skills um, that can be accessed. And you know, that should be part of the equation when a private company is considering um, a SPAC. Yeah, you know, just like anything else that we do, it's all about relationships. You know, the money is fungible, but it's all about the relationships. Um, in our last five minutes here, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about this risk piece, right? It looks like the risk profiles might be beginning to change, right? Due to maybe this oversupply of capital. So what, what are some of the, you know, the trends you guys predict or see, you know, going forward, you know, in that, in that vein. Yeah, so we're probably already, I think we're already seeing some of it, um, you know, litigation, class actions that are starting to, to spring up. 
uh, whereas in the last iteration of SPACs, you can rarely see any, any, any litigation. But now it's fairly routine for the plaintiff's firms to be seeking out plaintiffs as soon as a, uh, a DSPAC transaction is announced, even though they're really usually often no damages. So you know, you're seeing those claims get filed now and then also you know, post-closing of the, uh, the IPO, uh, or sorry, of the DSPAC transaction, you know, even you know, any type of uh, volatility in the stock where it goes down, you're seeing the plaintiff's lawyers come out. So I think you're gonna see more of that. Those firms tend to like um, you know, the deeper pockets, you know, companies that have raised a lot of money. Um, so I think that's gonna be a, a, a continuing trend. Well, I, I would I agree, Jeff. And and you know, I was on the phone with a banker friend this morning and he kind of flagged for me something I had seen uh, going across the ticker earlier, uh, which was uh, a, a company that's still in the stack process that was trading below ten dollars. So this was something that I think was a little more the norm um, you know, in prior years. And again, as we had some of these smaller SPACs. But you know these facts trading below ten bucks is is a signal that there's a little bit of a disruption because you know frankly you got ten dollars plus um, in in trust that is accessible and at one point there were some uh, you know some folks playing those spreads and picking that up and my guess is those types of blips happen from time to time but they're anomalies uh, but but the you know the overall market I think there's been a little bit of a shift away from. Uh, or there's a battle going on in the market right now between, you know, risk forward companies, even in um, sort of the tech world versus, you know, ordinary uh, value companies. And I think some of that is flowing over into the world of where money is in the SPAC market as well. Yeah, that makes some sense. Um, as we begin to wind down for this one, I, I think I also wanted to raise, you know, the specter of the SEC. Certainly, the SEC has indicated they're taking a look at these uh, this marketplace and and trying to determine whether there ought to be any additional disclosure requirements. So we'll, you know, stay tuned there and see how that begins to play out. Uh, not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, just may mean a little bit more in the way of process, uh, which we lawyers love. Um, and, uh, I'll, I'll add to that, though, that, that, that there have been a couple of companies that have announced uh, as part of, you know, on the, on the side of not only shareholder litigation, but that they've received inquiries uh, from the SEC. So the SEC is definitely poking around these companies. Um, and so both on the regulatory front in terms of saying, hey, should we tinker with the regulations that effectively would make it harder for SPACs to do what they're doing? slow down the processes to the other side of it, which is full-on, you know, investigations with respect to claims that are floating around in the marketplace about some of these companies. Yeah, it sounds like we might have a topic for our next uh, next session, which will probably be uh, on the uh, these risks around shareholder litigation, SEC investigations, et cetera. Um, so as we wrap up, I just want to thank Jeff and Sa for their time and uh, note for our audience. Uh, if you want to see some of this in writing, uh, feel free to download our report. Uh, it's entitled uh, Breaking Down the SPAC Surge. And if you have any topics you'd like to discuss in any future session, feel free to submit them to our SPAC chat at mints, uh, M-I-N-T-Z dot com. Uh, 